0: For something new. Uh, is a time coming through uh, uh, welcome to the conversations with Jason Campbell and Henrietta Galena
1: Hello.
0: we have essential been on hiatus it's been
1: a minute a <laughs> whole minute
0: a whole minute a whole I mean for for me many a countries many a places um, over the last couple months, but it's a new year. But I got to tell you, uh, this 2020 thing has really kicked off. We have to say that we're in the middle. Well, actually, we don't know of what stage of coronavirus we're currently in, but the corona, <laughs> the coronavirus conversation is huge. And you know, we're kind of we're in New York City. Both of us are in New York right now, and um, and this is happening.
1: Yeah, 2020. It's weird to think that. What we're in, in the beginning of March, I feel like we're ready at the end. Twenty twenty has been a bit of a sham.
0: I've got to tell you, I got to tell you, it feels it feels very heavy already. A lot has taken place, and um, I can only <laughs> imagine what's in store um, in the near in the near future, particularly with this looming, you know, contagion going on,
1: and the election,
0: <laughs> and the election. It's-
1: There's so much going on. It feels very dense, you know?
0: Very, very much so. Very much so. But I got to say, like, you know, on the streets of New York, though, I can't, I can't take the temperature. Like I can't. I, I, there's something happening here. I, I don't know. I've been having this feeling for the last couple of weeks since I've been here. I'm like, there's something going on here. I can't, in what way? I don't know. There's a there's this energy or lack thereof on the streets of New York right now. Maybe it's this time of year. I'm not oftentimes here in February. I like to be you know in South America during this time. But there's a, there's an energy or lack of energy here that is um, that I think it's I don't know. That's not. I don't usual. know.
1: I think that New York is it's literally its own ecosystem, right? We just live in a bubble here. So I think we're not hugely impacted in the ways of which we read about, but we do read about and then take that on. So I think there's just a general malaise around the unknowns around coronavirus and outbreaks here and the global epidemic. And then there's also like the election, which has been really heavy on a lot of people, but also just the fact that it's literally still winter.
0: Exactly. Oh, I God. think
1: I think sad is becoming more prevalent. I really do. Because I think that the lack of sun and I mean, don't get me wrong, we've actually not had a bad winter. So it's I can't complain. You know, it hasn't been that chilling, snowy, sludgy, dark winter. But I do think the lack of sun impacts the general population of New York. So I think we're just at the tail end of it. So that malaise is like,
0: Real and it for one really gets me. I I am I have seasonal depression for sure. I have like depression on a daily, dependent on the weather. If it's gray in this city, I'm slit wrist.
1: But it's also like when it's also really sunny. I don't know about you, but um, for those of us who have a nine to five, we're also still in the office. And oh, those flu- I and I realize those fluorescent lights. You know those yeah. like fluoro office lights. Those aren't.
0: I'm not those cur- aren't the way. I'm not currently living that life. Thank God, yeah. I, have, I have the freedom to enjoy those sunny days. Yeah,
1: and I think just generally, you know, as it pertains to our industry as well, there feels there seems to be a whole like thing. I don't know. It's all like converging in a way that there's part opportunity because these challenges bring that, but then there's also, you know, we just got off the back of Fashion Month and just observing that from afar. And I know there just seems to be a general malaise in general. I'm really hopeful for spring because I think that's going to make everything feel a bit more optimistic.
0: Well, I'm I'm always glad when we come to this space to have these conversations because I feel it forces me to sort of synthesize my thoughts. It forces me to look at this industry, continue to look at it um, in a way and draw conclusions because... If if you're not analyzing it, I, I gotta tell you, looking just just sort of looking at it um, um, like that is just it's confusing. It's unclear. It's puzzling. You just don't necessarily know what's going on in fashion right now. And not to say just because I draw conclusions that they're always correct, but I'm I'm actively dissecting as a part of my professional profile um, this this industry. But I gotta tell you, there's there the the there's so many um, uncertainties
1: yeah and I think uncertainty is the temperature right Pretty now much. because I think that where is it going sell 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 it's very saturated and it seems like everyone's like struggling to you know turn a profit um and then when you throw in themes like sustainability, I think there are a lot of questions around what do we need because it's so counter how we've done things before. and then even looking at fashion month it's it was very commercial. Like there was a lot of black, there was a lot of wearable pieces. It was about the clothes again. It was less about the kind of whimsical magicness of fashion or, you know, there was that whole period of having an Instagrammable moment. It was very pragmatic. And I think that that's a direct reaction to the need to sell clothes and maybe kind of react to if you're going to buy less, but buy well, buy this. And so, I think we're just at a bit of a turning point, which I feel like we say every single episode since we started this podcast. And maybe that's what it is. Like fashion is just in, in constant pivot because this definitely does seem like a changing moment um, well, in a way that doesn't feel tangible, so I think everyone's just trying to figure it out together, you know.
0: And that's a good point. And I, I, I hope to unpack a lot of these sort of like new issues or new or evolving issues, let's say, um, over the course of this um, over the course of this season, because there there, there certainly is a lot going on. And uh, let's let's steer the conversation now into 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 one of them that we want to have this season, and that being the the Prada conversation
1: or the non-product conversation the, as you might the say
0: the non the non-product conversation the non-product conversation and and essentially is Prada too big to fail is our yeah. is our question this week mm-hmm. and um and this this conversation arises from the recent events with the company where essentially i thought that was quite stunning that they were event- essentially fined by by the, the American legislative system um, for that problem that they had with the, with the figurine. That the monkey figurine. The monkey yeah. figurine. And um, that was spearheaded by an American attorney who, in fact, saw it in the window at Prada in Soho, was offended, and like took a legal course. I have to say that that sort of was in the background all of this time. You know, when this happened, Prada cleaned it up really quickly, apologized, took it off the shelves, and, you know, and that was kind of it. But there were things going on There were real real sort of ramifications for that problem. And essentially Prada um, engaged with a a settlement of some kind with the American. Maybe you have a better sense of explaining this.
1: I think the fact that it was overlooked initially isn't surprising, right? Because the news cycle is really incredibly quick. But, but no, also, I think it's important
0: to lay it out, though. Lay out what what Prada and the American government, what is their what is their settlement? Well, I think the audience needs to understand this well, before I'm, we get in.
1: I think just to even backtrack before that, this happened amongst a host of gaffes from H&M and Gucci, and it was very much like um, a fashion issue, right? And I think it was generally overlooked because... Obviously, is iconic, but also no one thought anything would happen. And I think I might be butchering her name, but her name is um, Shinye Etzi, the attorney that saw this in New York and was obviously incredibly offended, took to Twitter and said she was going to take action. I mean, in call-out culture, we all say that. And I think one of the things that was really stunning at the turn of the year was when something happened, because n- never before has there been any... Level of accountability or legal action, <laughs> accountability, anything, and I think, like you said, it was swept under the rug. There was this like diversity council led by the Esther Gates, Gates and, and Ava, Ava DuVernay, De- and um, and that's that. That's the status quo. So I think when that article came out at the beginning of February, I personally, like you said, was shocked because I was like, oh wow, there's real accountability here. There's legislation around this. There's um, authoritative governing. Um, input here in a way that we've never seen before Ex- what does that mean for fashion
0: exactly but and, and, and Henry Reed, I'm sorry to interrupt you but I have to I have to at least mention and outline some of the um some of the terms of that agreement so some of the terms of the agreement uh with with the American American legislative system is that there will be census sensitivity training at um at the product organization. racial
1: sensitivity training racial sensitivity
0: yeah. training they have to um uh, implement a director of diversity and inclusion role and, uh, and that role, whoever is in that role or their team or whatever, will have to review all designs that Prada produces that will be sold in America to ensure that there is nothing offensive that is produced in those collections. And then Prada will disclose the entire makeup of their stuff um, every year or every six months, which I think is phenomenal. This is real accountability. And then, um, and, and they have have to increase their diversity staff by next February and um and they will have checks and balances every 6 months.
1: Yeah, so the I guess their goal is to completely diversify through the ranks to make the internal workings more equitable uh, ah. racially. And I think that one of the things that Shinye was saying was when they were having the settlement conversation or when they were kind of doing the back and forth before this agreement came to be, Anecdotally, it did transpire that there were no people of colour that work in Prada. So I think that I think that the extreme situation caused a lot of this to come to fruition okay. because actually most companies have at least one. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Okay. Where they can just point to that one person who okay. works in PR or whatever and say, we stumbled, but we will try better. And I think that one of the things that might have been quite shocking about this is that. Prada was so extreme, but yet so big. I think people really were, like, from a legal perspective, even though they've had no business in this whole kind of arena before, I think they really saw... The inequity and actually found this to be legally challenging,
0: right? And I have to tell you, there there are questions to this actual agreement that Prada endeavored with, um, with you know the American legal system. People really, there's still a huge question mark over this. I don't know if it is as much legally binding as it's really important for Prada to maintain their a, a certain PR, you know. So in that respect, I think that is the that that's the impact for them from a broad perspective, from a PR. Perspective, it behooves them to sort of fall in line, as you say, because if the veil is lifted and one is to see what's under there, that it could be hugely, hugely embarrassing for Prada. And I have to tell you, maybe before I launch into this. For me, Prada represents the apartheid era. And we can dive into that in in a second. But that's what Prada represents to me. That they have, just from the outside in, clearly, just in the runway, we spoke about it in this forum, is that they have almost... Almost through a campaign, have excluded black people from their ranks over the last twenty five over the last twenty five years. So I feel that the 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 cobwebs in Prada's closet is a offensive, racist white supremacist sort of portfolio. I think
1: it's worth noting that it's not strictly a black, white issue because I think if you broaden the idea to people of color, that's what makes this, I think super shocking where, you know, one instance um, with accessories actually caused something that becomes a larger business challenge, because I think there was just a lack of representation across the board. Yes. You know, and I think that, you know, looking into that um, challenge is what yielded the results that we get, because there is just a lack of people of color in general, which makes it like an all-white problem.
0: Which makes it an all-white problem, sorry.
1: Um, in the sense that there is a complete lack of diversity. It wasn't like, well, there's you know some Asian representation and we, we just have no black people. I think there is just a lack of people of color, which has made this even more problematic.
0: And let's go back to our, our question for this episode. Is Prada too big to fail? I think we've come about this question as well because we see how much of the industry, in spite of... The gaffes, in spite of such a a, a big deal agreement, um, you know, with the with 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 the legislation involved and so forth, I have to say the 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 Prada profile right now is like confetti's in the air, streamers are flying around, is like Prada Prada Prada, and um, and I, I think it does warrant the question why. How has Prada been able to sort of reinvent themselves in this age? They've, you know, they've done this blackwashing, I'll call it, um, where, you know, they've ushered in uh, so much black in a way that American Vogue magazine has done it, that it doesn't seem authentic. And I, I, I feel in many ways that they have shaken up their ranks in, in, in very short order and, I still think that there's some questions out on 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 their motives and uh What do you mean they've the shaken legitimacy. up their
1: ranks in short order? What do you mean? Well,
0: in terms of um in terms of the black, we mentioned Thea uh, Theaster Gates, we mentioned Ava DeVornay, in terms of their in terms of their models now that, that they're using. Remember, Prada was the brand that did not use a model, used Naomi Campbell 15 years prior, and then the the headline in a press release 15 years afterwards is that there has not been a black model used in 15 years. There was a real badge of honor in not Sending a black model down the runway. I'm going to go back to that statement of apartheid. I really feel very strongly about this. And, you know, my peers who lived during this during this period over the last couple decades, uh, particularly back in the 90s when th- such a highly influential Asian fashion in the early 90s. Yeah. And I have to tell you, Muchia Prada and the Prada, Prada organization and Katie Grand. Katie Grand was a stylist during this era you don't understand. These two entities represent two of the most racist. Um, and, and and really, as I said, I represent the apartheid era in this business and it's so funny and it's okay that they are given the opportunity in this era to clean up their wrongs, but what we're not doing is that we're not looking at, say, that these were the oppressors and they're still <laughs> leaders in this business who are now trying to take a bit of credit. They're making the changes, which I welcome, but again, in the same way that Naomi Campbell needs to atone For her wrongs in this business, those two, uh, Katie Grand and Moucher Prada, being that we're speaking about Prada in this forum, you know, she worked on that platform. She helped to keep that. She helped to maintain and uh, implement that profile, that, you know, that white, skinny, European situation that Prada uh, used all those years. And, you know, I I think this audience, the, the audience who followed our podcast all these years, you know, I'm not here holding on to the past and just embittered about these sort of things, But what bothers me now is that we're supposed to look at these same oppressors in this era as our leaders. They haven't changed. They've only changed the script that they're putting in front of the audience. I don't know what's going on in behind the scenes. I don't know how their thinking has changed. I don't know how they've evolved. I And that only leaves me suspect as to their motives now. Muchia Prada, again, and I think I've asked this in this forum, why did you not see black people for fifteen to twenty years? I find that to be a foreign concept, and I find that to be a, a really scary, a scary concept. But yet she we all lived it, But it's somehow being glossed over right now in this era. We have to go. To that period, make those reparations and move forward. And what's what's also alarming right now in this period, Henrietta, is the the cheerleaders, the cheerleaders in this area that's concerned me. You know, Lindsay Peoples Wagner, who I actually is not someone that I know, but is someone who I look from the outside in at. And I've seen her work in this business, but yet I've just seen her recent uh, uh sort of you know, cheerleading stance for Prada, we're not worthy, speaking about a collection, the most recent collection that she, you know, Paraded down the runway, and a lot of these sort of like black professionals now who are younger, who may not know the recent history, but these are professionals who are who who stepped on a platform of rigor. Of analysis of really I, I thought of authenticity, and we have to look at this history and we have to ask those questions and we cannot just be cheerleaders so when a Lindsays people's Wagner and a Nikki Gund from a GQ and these kind of editors are running around and holding the you know the the flag for Prada as though that literally that they weren't you know a- apartheid, that begs the question is Prada too big to fail when no one seems to be asking any questions, you know, that 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 speaks to their checkered past? Yeah,
1: there was a lot there. <laughs> I think that um, from an advertising and catwalk perspective, um, yeah, when Anouk both walked the show and headed that campaign in, like, <laughs> 2018 or something, it was the first time in, like, 20 years, okay. well, it was 19 years for the campaign because Naomi Campbell was the black model 19 years prior to Anouk. And then she, I guess she opened the show and she was like the first black model to do so in 24 years. Exactly. That did get a lot of chatter, but not that much. Very much in the same way that this whole legal situation that has arisen with Prada has kind of missed the news cycle. Is it because is too big to fail? I think so. And I think that even though these issues are big ones that we do have to reconcile, we still work in fashion, right? So I think that there is a level of iconography. It kind of reminds me a little bit of the Catholic Church. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) Do you know what? No, but do you you see what the comparison I'm drawing Uh, uh, in the sense that there are just some brands that have governed for so long Prada has such a storied history in modern age in a way that it's not like a Chanel or a Balenciaga or some you know like back in the days when there was no fashion like we know it today um and i think that there is a level of iconography that is not to be fucked with i really do think that because the very people that call out the smallest of things are not speaking on this. And that goes from everyone from uh, Lindsay peoples Wagner right through to a Diet Prada who literally will call out the the similarities between two collections, really failed to dissect any of what's happened with the legal ramifications of this Prada fallout. Completely,
0: but they... Or if
1: they did, it literally came and went in like a story. They
0: didn't. They they, they didn't.
1: um, That kind of went after 24 hours. And I think that that really does mean something because there is this new wave of, game changers who are holding people accountable and really trying to deconstruct this calcified idea of how fashion has been the last few decades. And they seem to be overlooking this and there is something in that. And it definitely speaks to the power that Prada holds. And I don't, I'm not well versed enough to know what that power is. I don't know if it's the power players behind the brand. I don't know if it's advertising money. I don't know if it's the connections to the upper echelons of investors and the Anna Winters. I have no idea what is going on behind the scenes, but something very similar to the Catholic church is making their image and their business and everything that they do largely intact. Like the fallout has really not, made a dent in their revenue in their standing in their image in like they still have all the top models they still have all of the best reviews they it not nothing is really shifting but you know what i find if you it, think about it and and there is something that's happening behind the scenes that i'm just not privy to but whatever it is it's such a strong current that um even the what i like to call the 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 change makers and troublemakers who are really shaking the industry up for the better are just completely overlooking it.
0: Well, um, I have to. I have to make this observation that in my research, what I found that w- was that in in the 2016 2017, that Prada started losing market share for their bugs in in China, and it's a, obviously a huge a huge market, if not the most important market for them. And I see that coincides with the changes that they're making in their campaign, on the catwalk, and so on and so forth. And that makes me think, especially in China, where um, a certain imaging is, is, is sort of held to more white European standards of beauty and so forth, that did Prada as well, and many brands could be accused of that, of, of course, this is not exclusive to Prada, but could Prada be accused of maintaining a very racist uh, uh, brand identity up to a point, simply for to, to preserve his market share? China is not exactly the most uh, friendly place for black people, and as we know, um, historically, a lot of brands have altered their campaigns where any black models, I say, appearing it for 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 regional markets, um, China being one of them. I mean, this is a this is one one lane in in this theory. To be perfectly honest, from my observation, I see that. Prada was just uh, racist through and through. She did not, Mucia and Katie did not see black people as standards of beauty. They weren't, they weren't figured into this 90s cool and early noughts cool. Somehow we were completely sidelined in their eyes in that era. They really doubled down as black as trend, and we were not on trend during that era. So I don't necessarily think it's only like that Prada has switched up their program and introduced more black people in an era when you know sportswear and streetwear was changing the game, and that's a new face of fashion as it has been over the last three years. They have gone deep, deep, deeply into this profile. And again... That was never, they, they, in fact, they, 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 they put their noses up at this kind of image before, for a very, very long time. I see it in a similar way as American Vogue is changing their profile to be more democratic. And then you're looking at it and you're like, I don't believe you. You, the way that you have been structured over the last however many decades is completely to close the doors to what you're currently featuring. And I think similarly of Prada. Again, evolution is fine. I'm all about it, but you you have to make that atonement and make it up front. Okay. We're not hearing that in the, so, in the in the boardroom.
1: So you talk about atonement a lot. Both I do on this podcast and in our personal conversations. And I want I want to know what that looks like for you because I do feel like we are in this weird shift where people are confronted with their past in some way, shape shape or form, whether it's call-out culture, whether it's this legal route that's now coming into the um, fray, which has never happened before. So it's not to say, I mean, even in that New York Times article, it was saying that Gucci and H&M are next, you know. So this is becoming a new angle of accountability that we've not seen before. Um, But in some way, shape or form, I think people are confronted with these gaffes and, you know, there is some need for reconciliation. Now, there are the brands that just shift course relatively <laughs> swiftly um, to reflect a more diverse culture that is reflective of culture today. Yeah. Um, but then there is that whole idea of authenticity and I don't believe you and is that true or you're just trying to make money or capitalize on the black dollar. Or At what point are we able to accept these shifts as, at a,
0: as valid? At a very easy point. At a very, at a very easy and a very clear point, just have the conversation. That's it. I don't, I don't need you to go on a campaign around the world and ask for, you know, ask for, oh, please forgive, for, ask for forgiveness around the globe. No, 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 no. I'm not asking for that. Have a conversation. But when you're um, enacting this Hollywood campaign of of deceit and and, and 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 coverage and 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 hiding things and hiding that history and and throwing more PR on top of that. Henrietta, that signals to me that you're not... Again, no, I don't need for you to to do a roadshow of apologies. No. You want it to be acknowledged. That's it. That's it. That is absolutely it. And if you don't do that, if you do not do that, in my eyes... I will forever question your motives. Because if you don't do that, you're essentially ignoring. It's almost ignoring the the Holocaust. (laughs) It's like, it it truly is. I find it to be as significant as that because it's been um, the the marginalization and the oppression, if not the killing of people through through certain conditions or lack of opportunity. So yeah, I really feel that strongly about it. And again, just once you recognize that, I I think, um, I think, uh, evolution, learning, and doing better are such important things, especially in this culture where, you know, we get so dismissive so quickly of people. It's not about burying and drowning them because they, you know, made an error in another in another period of their life. No, 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 no. But again, if you're not going to be as public about your reparations as you were about your, you know, your clear-cut racist agenda, then... Uh, then take your take your bag of chips and, and and step off stage. I really, I really do feel that. That goes for Naomi Campbell, that goes for Mucia Prada, and that goes for Katie Grand. And we can list some other names, but those are three highly, highly influential entities in this business over the last three decades. I, I won't stand away from that. I will not back down from that. That is clear and true.
1: So what so reparations is something that is Often talked about um, in this industry and obviously just in culture generally, it's it's been quite a topic, particularly around these political election debates. So,
0: what does reparation looks like in this business now?
1: I mean, I have aii have I've I've been thinking on this, and I do have a few th- ideas, which I wouldn't even think is reparations. I think it's just the the right and smart thing to do, which is create equity across the board, which includes the executive corridors. Um,
0: I think that's what reparation looks like now. I don't think it's about handing out checks to, I don't think it's handed out checks. I think it's it's exactly that. I think that's what reparation looks like. And that's why, that's why this agreement with Prada is really interesting to me. I mean, yeah, I see it in, you know, with sort of two heads. I like that, and I, you know, they may they may really like that too. That there is a clear agenda, that there's clear deliverables, accountability is 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 right there. That you, they can they can hopefully uh, work to achieve those. They can work to achieve those goals. I I just love how I love how black and white that is.
1: So let's say that Prada really adhere to each of these deliverables that they have to meet in order to um, reconcile this this huge issue that's been problematic for Prada for decades, would that be enough for you without that atonement, without that acknowledgement? If they literally, let's say in five years, it's like 50% of their executive ranks and um, internal HQ staff and floor staff and everything is people of color, and they're able to provide equity across everything we see, advertising, catwalk shows, and the collections are gaff-free. <laughs> Would you see that as being enough if they meet the standards here without any level of acknowledgement or atonement?
0: I'll 100% take it. I'll 100% take it because at the end of the day, you know, uh, reparations and inclusivity is ultimately about employment. So I will take it. But here's a point. It's, Great business is wonderful business. To to show your heart and to recognize, to truly recognize and acknowledge where you faltered, like truly, like you know, you know, showing showing that um, um, and owning and owning that. So it's not. I, I don't think it should be such a leap for Prada to get to that point. Of actually, I think in fact, this was the opportunity. This agreement was the opportunity to fully come clean. To be like, we had got it wrong. We got it wrong in the past. And this agreement, while it may not be legally binding, we find it to be the utmost importance because. It's important. These sort of um, this accountability is important to us now as a company. We uh, and we for us to we sign this agreement because we ultimately want to do better, and that our agenda is set up to do exactly that for the foreseeable future. So this that's the uh, that's mm-hmm. the the opportunity to atone. It's not really asking for so much, but look at what they did. They use that opportunity to sweep it all under the rug to not acknowledge anything in fact you know if if this uh, i'm sure they didn't want any any you know articles to come out on this on this thing and you saw how quickly that went away and you saw how that did not get any acreage of coverage from anywhere besides a new york times or business of fashion it didn't appear anywhere and it was not in the it, no one was chatting about it amongst we were we were quite surprised hence having this podcast here our our, our network was not discussing this so in effect, they, again, they did this Hollywood performance game and it's like, go away, go away, go away. Don't show all the, don't show all the the warts. We don't, we, we no, 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 that, oh, that didn't really happen. So you see, is deceitful and the same agenda is, the same agenda is in place. I know we want to see the best of these places, these entities. I know we do, especially when things like this place takes place. It signals change, but... I I give it a side eye as well when they're unwilling to come out and call it for what it was and now for what it is i'm I'm really big on that, Henrietta. I'm big. It's like it's like, you know, someone comes in sheep's clothing. <laughs> well, if you could identify that way, you were in a different garb. <laughs> I saw you outside the door in a different garb, and then you come in and then you you know, you put on the charlatan's robe to talk, no, no, no. I saw the garb that you were <laughs> you were walking in this room in. I, again, you know, we're past the point of giving people benefit of the doubt simply because they are a respected outfit. We're, we're done with that. We're done with that. You know, in fact, we go straight ahead and challenge those, you know, those, those entities that are supposedly respectable. But when you really look at their practices, it shows quite the opposite.
1: So can I ask a question that I know is not going to go down well, but I'm just curious. Um, why does it matter about Prada specifically in such a saturated fashion landscape where people are natively knowing better and doing better? Um, in a ways that work to reconcile where we are, um, racially, diversity, sustainability, all of these challenges. There's an influx of brands, designers, companies that are doing the work to um, remedy that. Why does it matter if Prada have atonement or if they even change?
0: Um, well, there are a couple of reasons for that. The 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 role that Prada plays in culture, in this fashion, in this fashion business, and it's just not a it's not a ceremonial role. This is a role that takes money—a significant amount of money—from our community. It uses our it uses our image and our likeness um, to whether it be from dressing a celebrity in goddamn in in in, in Hollywood uh, to 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 millions of dollars in sales. They'll do. Those kind of performances, they don't have a problem with putting a dress onto Kerry Washington in a very sort of like deceitful way of getting a black dollar, but yet they will not put us in their executive corridors and just recently recognize our our, our economic might to then, you know, flood their catwalks and their campaign with us. If... It, if these are racists that are setting the that are setting the agenda and are just using you as pawn in their game, like I'm not going to forget that they're racists.
1: <laughs> I, uh, I ask that because I do feel like there is a level of discernment amongst the black community, the customer base in general, where we're well aware of the challenges and the role that these legacy brands have played in where we are.
0: And so, are, I'm, are they? Do you not think I do? No, Henrietta. No, there's a whole there's a whole um, uh, class of of say black uh, executives, editors, or whatever. The new class of black editors and executives they lack knowledge of the last fifteen years of what came before them. They absolutely do because I came before them, and I know all the peers who, of people of color that came before them in this industry. They have not been downloaded. They have. They absolutely have not. They have not been downloaded on the recent history of this of this um, industry, and we're talking about the last two decades. They simply do not have, or even care to have, that 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 knowledge. And let's be honest, activism now is very trendy so you can you and, and of course we have the tools to be able to express yourself on whatever issues and just like a, a, a click so we have a lot of we have a lot of opinions that are being expressed even amongst the black community but a, a lot of that is uninformed and then they're going over to the <laughs> they're playing in the oppressors garden like <laughs> and are promoting it and are, and are and are tilling it as well as they go you're just like oh my god if you only knew so that only discounts and that only obsoletes all of that messaging that you that you posted on, you know, on your feed for the last two years. Like, that, that knowledge is just not there and that the scrutiny isn't. And, and that, that happens among some of the most uh, high-profile activists in the Black community right now.
1: That's interesting because I think that while I was surprised about the lack of coverage around this entire Prada situation, one of the things that I was thinking about is the power of um, that discernment and just knowing. So a good example is for a legacy brand is um, like a Tiffany's, right? Um, Completely white. You would literally struggle to find a person of color until recently where it's become this very diverse. They're talking about broadened sense of commitments from, you know, same-sex commitments right through to Lupita Nyong'o being splashed all over um, a campaign. But, but their challenges have been acknowledged and they continued to lose money and lack relevancy and they've been overlooked. And I think that that's a part of what I'm talking about because I definitely reacted to the whole fallout around this legal route that was taken. But that said, I also... I'm not really checking for Prada. I'm really focusing my energies on brands and companies that are authentically doing the work. And I think that is in large part why brands are scrappling to be diverse and have all black catwalks and all black campaigns, because they're really trying to get that market share and get that attention and fear being overlooked and being irrelevant as we are ushered into a new age of inclusion and diversity. So I think that there is some power, even if the discernment isn't um, widespread across the larger community, I do think it's there, and I think that even people like yourself, you're not checking for these brands, and I think that has impact, and I think it scales.
0: Well, you know, you know, one thing that I will concede, um, one thing I will concede in this conversation is, you know, my my perspective can be generational as well. In what you're saying, you're like, well, I, is anyone really checking? For Prada, from that top-down situation, and in my head, I'm like, well, yeah, they are. The influence, the influence is still great, but maybe I'm oriented in the way that that shows from my era, where we're really looking from the top-down brands, and Prada has always been at the top of that heat, and the Louis Vuitton and all of that. But I, I, I will still hold to that because but I think, from I a think top there's down, a, a
1: top-down approach. Yes press are still flocking and writing great reviews advertising reigns supreme but from an actual like the the brass tacks of the products as commodities and seeing it on the street and seeing like are we now buying I don't know off-white and other brands that we think are worthy of our attention are worthy of our dollars you know like that's what I'm saying like I wonder how much of their influence is a perceived old guard idea of influence where it's like, because I'm just like, who are they influencing? Like, I don't really know anyone that's checking for Prada in the way in which you would expect when you talk about Prada being so, you know, this kind of Herculean entity that is like ruling fashion. I'm like, where is this evidence beyond the old guard? Editors, journalists, this kind of like Prada. Outside of press and the upper echelons of fashion who've fallen over these brands and designers, I don't see this evidence in the streets. I don't see this um, influence in conversations. I don't see this influence on like social. So I'm just wondering when it comes to the actual brass tacks of who is actually fucking with Prada, I don't see this influence in the same way that it's perceived amongst
0: Okay, let me, let me put it this way. I perceive Prada in the same way as I say, do Gucci. In the way that Gucci Gucci has, has had several iterations as a, as a popular fashion brand. And the reason that it's been able, and particularly in this area, the reason why it's so successful in this area is because of brand recognition. The brand name, that Gucci name has traveled through the decades. Prada... Has established itself, though it's you know it started as a small store I think from the '60s um, with the parents of Mucci and so forth. Um, uh, it has established itself. In this era, as one of those generational brands. If Prada dies in, you know, in, in, in one of these eras, I think it can cement itself in culture. Well, I mean, this is a huge forecast as to how culture is gonna continue to evolve. I don't know if I can, you know, but in any case, I'm gonna put a, a broad stroke over that. I think Prada is, is is like institutionalized in this way and has established its brand identity in fashion culture in a really strong way. That that it can live for for a very long time to come. That's what I mean. Yeah, That's why I see it in that way. That's why I see it in that way.
1: I agree. Prada absolutely has iconic institutional status. Like That is just the way that it is. My question is more like, what does that actually mean and matter in brass tacks, in the way that culture works today and the way that economics of fashion and all that stuff, much like in the way that, I don't know, an LL bean or a gap is or you know, I just, I, it and means those that are slightly different examples because they're like gap is actually potentially going out of business. But I'm just really thinking about this might that they, Weird. I'm just really trying to figure out what it really means. Well what it means, what it terms. means
0: is that a brand like that, if it's nimble and it wants to pivot and turn its sight on the black black dollar as it is now, it can do that. And not every brand and in almost like a vulture. In Almost in like a vulture kind of way. And I, I, I and I have to say, I see it in that kind of way. And that's why Prada is powerful. Prada has a brand name recognition to be able to sort of like shift things in culture very quickly if it so desires. And I think that's what it's, it's attempting to do now. It's turning its sights on the black dollar and it's really doubling down yeah. on that.
1: I think the way I see Prada is very much in two lanes. There is the design and aesthetic quality that has created this iconic stance, right? So so the union with Raph Simmons, for instance, is, I mean, he is such a talented designer, but from our culture and um, brass tacks in terms of how that translates to pe- the people and sales, etc., it's almost cemented and solidified a lot of the challenges that Proud have had. Like Raf is, of a very similar mindset, of a very similar generation, of a very similar aesthetic in a way that it doesn't oh, it doesn't okay. speak to me in terms of the idea of moving forward Thank culturally. Okay. So <laughs> let's say it was like, I don't know, I can't even think of a, a designer that would bring that similar aesthetic sensibility while bringing forward this new idea, whether it's a Peter Do or a Virgil or some other designer who... Uh, feels more attuned to the temperature of Daniel, today.
0: Daniel, what's his name at At, at uh, Daniel Lee. Daniel Lee. You know,
1: Christopher John Rogers is, I think, a bit too... Lee, yeah, no,
0: not, not the right. Um, yeah.
1: Not the right aesthetic. Mm-hmm. But you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, if there was some employment or some... Um, what's the word? <laughs> if there was uh, some union with someone who felt more attuned to the temperature, like I just mm-hmm. said, mm-hmm. I would feel like that iconography could... could
0: Richard... Not Richard Prince. What's his name? The the Richard Quinn. <laughs> right,
1: you know, a designer that's really rooted in the sentiments of today. I think that there would be some idea that the the iconography could continue to translate into something that feels more practical for today. Mm-hmm. But I think that union with Raph, while it is really a, from a heady standpoint or a f- ideology or a philosophical ideal of fashion, it's a great union. It doesn't translate to something that is current and modern no. and attuned to the temperature of today. So I'm also like I don't for who's the record, checking for product.
0: For the record, I don't really care about that news at all. Like talk about a news I really didn't care about that, that Well that
1: was talked about.
0: <laughs> so <laughs> that didn't mean that didn't mean that didn't mean anything yeah. to me. That was a that was a a, a dud of a, of a headline. Um, not to say, I mean, it all makes sense and all this kind of stuff, but that's not where that's not where I, my thinking is in in, in But that's
1: story. what I'm saying. I don't think that excitement really translated to real people on the streets.
0: No, like, no, and that was no, what I was
1: saying no. about this, like, power that Prada wields. It's all very like influence and power, and I'm just like, yeah, in a kind of bubble over there. But I don't think it necessarily translates well, to real well, life.
0: No, 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 no. I, I you know, again, I'm going to go back to that brand recognition. You know, that brand recognition thing is huge. It's not, we, you know, this. I mean, you're, you're a marketer. You're a marketer, you understand that. You understand that you could mention Prada in the middle of Kansas and it'll have some brand recognition. You can mention it in most, you know, wherever and, and a off-white will not. Like, I you know, understand, you know that. I you, understand you know how that what works. I'm
1: saying is that means something different today in the sense that it doesn't have to mean anything in the sense different, it just doesn't have
0: meaning, is my point. <laughs> in the
1: sense that a vacuum cleaner, people colloquially call it a Hoover, which is a brand of vacuum cleaner, but everyone's yeah. still for like dying over Dyson. It just these things don't always translate to things that are real. That's all I'm saying.
0: No, I understand. But again, in this era, brand recognition is probably one of the realest things because in an era where brands are just popping up and uh, talk about a, a conversation, talk about a podcast to come up, are you recognizing how many of these digitally native brands are failing right now? Okay, and that is for a reason. They're failing because they have not cemented themselves with the brand identity or brand recognition over the course yes. of decades. And that's the thing. I think that's what is showing in this era is that it's, yeah, you could get a crazy amount of VC dollars and, and yep. have X amount of exactly. 10X returns yes. and all this kind of stuff. But, like, it still takes a long time to build your brand to build brand recognition. That, and that's what a product has
1: 100%, in 100%. But this is literally what we've been talking about. It's all connected. That is why this is so convoluted, what it takes to make a brand today. Because to be quote unquote iconic just isn't enough anymore. But also to not have brand recognition as a D2C, digitally native new brand isn't isn't it's not enough to cut through the noise no, either. No, so no. there is a confluence of circumstances and tactics that need to come together, and it's not an either or anymore. It's not black and white. And that's exactly my point. Neither in silo matters. So... Prada is iconic, but without that cultural relevance and actually being about something in an authentic way, that's not going to work in the same way that um, the lack of brand recognition is detrimental to a lot of DC brands that are dying. So I think that it it is this confluence um, of circumstances that is very complicated and not black and white.
0: And I actually have to mention another name. Museum Mammy is also a part of that. (laughs) I'm sorry. Oh, my God. (laughs) I'm sorry. And I I don't mean to make light of this, but, you know, the more I think about it, the more I feel that the campaign may be insidious. You know, I'm sorry. There's a collection of these wonderful black thinkers and these great black minds. And I'm feeling like they're being bought. I'm sorry. I I said think it. we should
1: I think that um we should speak to someone.
0: We we, we 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 have to. We 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 absolutely have to. And we'll put those calls out because this is not, you know, this is not about indictment. I don't I don't like sometimes when things come off in this form of like, you no, know, I, calling I, things out I, I without think we should
1: speak about it because I would be interested to get like when you talk about um Museum Mammy, Kimberly Drew, who I think is incredibly, incredibly smart and just her critical thinking towards all things fashion, art and otherwise, I think is really important. Um, I would be interested to see if she's looking at this in a completely different way or maybe she, I... maybe she is seeing the inner workings and thinking that and and understanding that this is an authentic, genuine move or they're having the real conversations or anything like that. I mean, I'm just saying that there are different perspectives to this. And so it would just be interesting to see if someone is completely looking at this from a completely different perspective based on Information and knowledge that they have, one hundred percent, one hundred percent valid. Yeah. I
0: would love, I would love to get a, a Lindsey's people, Wagner or Museum Mammy, Kimberly Drew um, up here for this podcast to talk about these things. And a, and a Amy Saul, I, you know, when I think when I when I think about these amazing amazing women, um, and again, I, I don't want to indict them before I speak to them, but yeah, when I see them out there like raising the Prada flag, and these are people who ask questions in other forum about these issues, but in that forum. I, I only see, I only see uh, rejoicement and 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 that sort of stuff. I have question marks. I have questions. And on that note, yeah, let's get that answered <laughs> soon. All right. And on that note, Henrietta, we will we will catch you the next time. Okay. Ciao.